Hello everybody, it's the end of the year, almost the end of the year. We're doing this filming from my office on, I believe it's December the 15th, in advance of the service that we're having just a couple of days uh, after Christmas. So at the end of the year, I'm doing what probably a lot of you are doing, I'm looking back on the year. In fact, I think back to the very beginning of the year, personally, I spent it with a group of pastors, some friends, kind of a tribe, if you will, of guys who become good friends, we're keeping in touch, we're sharing our woes, talking through our highs, rejoicing with each other. We spent a few days together, guided by a facilitator, just a real rich time together in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, back in January, the beginning of this year. And I remember at one point, uh, one of the pastors, a guy who's become a good friend of mine, a, a man I really admire, he looked at a few of us and he said, your job as a pastor, your job is to help prepare your people for their days of suffering. And that kind of hit me right in the solar plexus because that's different when you think about my job. That's different than entertaining people, packing the house, drawing a crowd, instructing people in the insights for daily wisdom living. Your job is to help prepare your people for their days of suffering. The reality for all of us is those days are coming. If you're not in the middle of those days now, you will be. And that has stuck with me. It, it's helped in some ways shape my preaching. Sure, we instruct, sometimes we entertain, sometimes we have a good crowd, but ultimately it's about bringing you the Word of God. The Word that as some of us have memorized recently is a living and active and powerful than any double-edged sword. It pierces uh, to the thoughts and intentions, to the bones and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And to bring the Word to you and to remind you of the truth of God's word to help, in essence, prepare you for the days of suffering that you will endure. For those of you who are there, we want you to get through it. We want you to see God reign supreme in the midst of what you're going through. And for those of you where things are happy and favorable and blissful now, we want to prepare you for when those days uh, will come. The passage that we look, we're going to look at in a minute says, not if, but when. And so that's true for all of us. So the chief question I'm putting in front of you today, you'll see it on the screen, is how do you get through what seems ungetthroughable? Now we're making up words today for effect, but think about it. How do you get through what seems ungetthroughable? James writes a letter a long time ago, and he starts it like this. He, we don't have to guess who it's from or who he's writing it to. In fact, it's very direct and very practical. It's hard-hitting. In the first chapter, he talks about some really rich things about like what religion really is. In fact, religious people, he says, can get way off track, and we can become uh, defiled by the world. Religious people can lose sight of their mission and, and forget about the poor, the orphans, and the widows. In James chapter 2, he talks about how God loves everybody. He's stamped his image on every one of his creatures. He loves everybody, and we're not to treat anybody with favoritism or partiality. We're to live by faith, he says. In the third chapter, he talks about some very practical things about our tongue, about how speech. He gives three powerful metaphors of tiny things uh, having big impact. And so it's true with our words. Our speech can bring life or it can bring death to people around us. In the fourth chapter, he tells us some rich things about how we shouldn't boast about tomorrow, uh, saying we're going to go do this in the marketplace and do that because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Life is but a mist, but a vapor, he says. In the fifth chapter, he talks to us about many things, about being patient, about praying, about sticking through the difficulties. He talks to us about how to, uh, how to experience healing in community with other people through this powerful gift of confession. So back to this letter written so long ago, it's so direct and so hard-hitting. It changes the subject a lot, but every subject is something that we need even in our day today. I would say especially 
in our day today. And he starts his letter off by saying, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. It's not just a greeting. He tells us about the situations that he, James, is encountering. You see, for the first century Jew, uh, the, their idea of the kingdom was that God's people, the 12 tribes, would be gathered, they would be united, they would be restored, they would be 12 tribes all together as one. So you see, James is not writing to a group that's gathered, united, and restored, doing great kind of people. He's writing to a scattered, dispersed, where is God community of faith. We can find ourselves there. In fact, live long enough and you will. Life seems scattered. We seem dispersed. We don't seem to have our people. We don't feel the love among uh, our tribe of people. Everything just seems scattered and we're not doing well and we want to know where God is. Scattered, that can, be, that can define us at points in our lives. James is saying you're scattered, but I want you to do something. I want you, even though your situation is not favorable, even though you have found that life is not a string of blissful highs, I want you to consider. And he says in the next verse, beyond the greeting to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, he says, consider it joy when you encounter all these various trials. Now, does that seem strange to people? Does it seem even cruel? Who among us would look at a good friend and say, you know, I'm, you should be happy that you're going through this painful divorce. Hey, you should be thrilled and excited that you just got a, a bad, very difficult, potentially fatal health diagnosis. You wouldn't say that to someone that you love, certainly. But is that sort of what James is saying here? He's not. This word consider is really a rich one. Some English translations say count, but I love the word consider. I think it means more uh, to us. He's saying, I want you not just to follow your feelings. He's saying, I want you to think about raising your level of thinking. I want you to think afresh, think anew. We may say in more psychological terms today to have a new template, a new prism, a new framework in which to view the world. And that is exactly what he's saying to people. He's saying to us that don't just follow your feelings when it hurts, when it gets hard, when your string of blissful highs has come to an end and suffering has been laid out in front of you, when it is you going through it, when it's no longer academic or philosophical, speculation when it's personal for you, consider. He's not saying to pretend. He's not saying to act like that the bad is good. He's saying to consider. By the way, some of us do that. I, I know some folks who um, are super cheery and it seems like they want to just bypass the pain and not look at uh, what's hard in life and we can scoot past it, which is never, ever healthy. And some of us have the tendency to get mired and leave our tears on the jukebox with somebody else and just cry and cry and sort of the chicken little sky is falling. And James is saying, don't follow those feelings. Don't deny the feelings, but don't follow them, but think afresh, think higher. He's just asking you to consider. Consider maybe when you've had someone ask you to consider. They're just doing that. They're doing what James is doing. They're probably in a tender way saying, hey, would you, would you rethink this? Would you change your framework. And that's what he's saying here. There's a cognitive psychologist by the name of Albert Ellis. He gives a, what's kind of become pretty well known, pretty popular. It's called the ABC model of adversity or how we view a framework of which we view adversity in our lives. 
The A, he says, is an activating event. It's the bad thing that happened. The B is the belief, what you believe or how you interpret the, the event that happened, that activating event. That's the B. The, the C is the consequences. It's the, the outcome, either the immediate outcome, the, the pain that you feel from the activating event, or it's ultimately how it's going to turn out. And what Albert Ellis says and what he's observed through studying people and human behavior and the psychological condition of man is that the difference is not so much the circumstances that we experience in life, but it's our belief about those circumstances. A way to translate that is it really, our lives really rise and fall on how we interpret the events of our lives. We can't control a lot of the events. I mean, I'm like you, I wake up every day and I want to increase the pleasure of life and minimize the pain, but I have found that I can't always do that, that pain comes and I can avoid some stuff, but I can't avoid all stuff. There are activating activities, things that happen, activating events, A, there's the belief in that, and then there's the C, the consequences. He encourages us to think about our lives in a richer and fuller way. And the difference between people who flourish and those who languish in many ways is our belief about interpreting the events of our lives. I wonder as we end this year, as Christmas is now behind us and we're thinking about a new year, we're about to say happy new year, but what is your tendency? Who are you in life? How are you now interpreting the events? Are you interpreting the events of your lives, of your life the way you should? In a, in a God-honoring way? Is there a self-wallowing, a pitiful way that you are uh, interpreting events? Are you looking past things and sweeping things under the rug when you need to deal with things? So I want to give you from this letter, from just two passages in the introduction to this letter of James, I want to give you some thoughts about how to have a new framework. I want to give you four quick points about how to have a new framework. Now remember, James is the writer of this, and James is writing again to a scattered a group of people to the 12 tribes who uh, aren't gathered as they desire, who aren't united, who aren't restored yet, but they're, they're scattered. And so that's, the, that's what he's encountering. That's what the people are encountering. And James himself, historians and scholars believe that he knew a lot of suffering himself. I mean, he lived in first century Palestine, so there's suffering there as well, being a Jew uh, in the midst of the empire there. But scholars tell us, historians say that his dad, Joseph, probably died when he was young. And so James was raised by a mother and he had, uh, there were seven of them raised by a single mom named Mary. And you know this, some of you already figured it out. James is the half brother of Jesus. So I, I bet James spent a lot of his early years being asked the question, uh, why can't you be more like your brother? So James dealt with stuff and he says to the people that he's writing to, and ultimately to you and I, when you encounter various trials, because we will. We will encounter a whole lot of trials. So the first thing that trials can do, first point of a new framework of seeing our struggle, adversity, and pain is this. Trials, adversity, it can reveal our true character. It can reveal your true character. Suffering does that. The word reveal in the Greek, the connotations of it, um, it demonstrates to us uh, that we have to hold on, we have to hang in there, and that there, it's, it's, it reveals something below the surface. And suffering does that. When I go through something difficult, whether I'm, it's sort of trivial, I'm stuck in traffic, I'm behind someone in the checkout counter, it says 10 items or less and they've got 15 to 50. 
when I'm when I have been gossiped about and then I want to gossip in return. When something happens, it reveals something bad that is when the activating experience, the A, has happened in my life, it's so easy to respond accordingly. And what happens in suffering and uniquely in trials and suffering, I find out who I really am. The pretending and the posturing and the um, you know, marketing of my image, it kind of melts away. And I find out some things about myself and it's not always pretty. Can anybody say amen to that this morning? When you suffer, it reveals your true character. And that's this, if you, again, you go to the Greek, the word trials, it has a, it's a purifying, it's a disciplining, a refining, a, a humbling at times. It's a revealing and it shows. And sometimes here's how we think many times, we think of trials, our problems as out there. It's an out there problem. Someone out there made my life more difficult. It's my boss, it's my spouse, it's a friend, an ex-friend, an ex-spouse, an ex-boss, it's God himself. This out there problem has made my life more difficult. But reframe, consider this, that trials reveal your true character. So consider not just out there, but consider in here. What area is being revealed in your life? And then will you deal, will you honestly deal with the character that has been revealed in your life through the trial? So the first thing to the reframing or getting a whole new framework to consider, as James says, is that trials reveal your character. Secondly, uh, trials can make you grow stronger. The, the idea of perseverance, and he says this, that, that count it all joy when you encounter various trials and that it can produce perseverance. And there's a two, it's a combo, a duality, a combo word in the Greek for perseverance. So the words in English are remain and under. When you persevere, you remain under the weight, the burden, the difficulty, but you stick after it. Now, here's the, what I know about me, and I'm guessing you, is that we don't like either one of those. We don't wanna remain, and we don't wanna be under. We wanna go, we wanna move, we wanna achieve, we wanna advance. We wanna go from point A to B as fast as possible. We like movement, we don't wanna remain, and we certainly don't wanna remain under. We wanna go up high. We you know, started from the bottom, and now we're here. Where is here? Here is high, here is up, here is on top, and we wanna be in control, and we wanna be up there on top. We want to be moving forward. We want, as we say, the line to be straight and to the right all the time. But perseverance means that we would be able to remain under. How many of you at the end of the year, you're there right now where you're understanding that sometimes faith, faith in Christ, is simply remaining under and being obedient to. It's just abiding and staying there and waiting patiently for the Lord. The scripture says to wait on the Lord. Sometimes it gets even more clear with us to wait patiently for the Lord. And that's what faith could be like for some of you today as we end the year. So what can trials do? If we consider them with a new framework, it can reveal your true character and it can make you grow stronger. I have a friend who has gone through something very difficult. He came to see me a couple of years ago and he was a broken man and he said, I need to make some things right. In fact, the hardship had revealed his true character. And he said, here are the things that I need to make right. Make right. Would you help me? Would you pray for me? Would you help me in community live this out? And can I tell you, my friend, I admire him. I wouldn't want to go through what he's gone through, but I admire that he started doing things the right way, far from perfect. But he took steps of faith. He moved forward. He, he took steps of righteousness in his life. He confessed sin. 
He did everything he could to make a relationship right. In the midst of a painful loss, I remember he sat here and he told me, man, Robert, I did everything right. And here's the question that he asked me, and what do I have to show for it? Have you asked that before? I've done everything right. I started coming to church. I started giving. I started praying more. I got involved in a small group. I helped people in serving in our community. I started doing things, and now look, the pain hasn't gone away. The problem has not melted. I'm still there. It's gotten worse. What do I have to show for it? It's a common question. I think we've all asked it. What do I have to show for it? And here's what I want to tell you. This can help somebody today is I saw something in him that he couldn't see in him. He just was asking the painful question, what do I have to show for it? He was thinking the outcome was final and that that was it. But what I saw was my friend who became stronger. I saw more humility in his life. I saw more patience in his life. I saw him taking commitments serious in his life that previously he had not. And I was able to see that. And that's what our trials can do. Would you consider that today, even though you don't want the trial? Look, I don't want the trial in my life. I don't want it in your life. I want smooth sailing. But trials can reveal your true character, and it can make you grow stronger. Give that to him. Give him that opportunity, and you may be there. You know, there's, there's looking back. How many of you have lived long enough, and you've been through something? You can look back, and you see how you were made stronger. But looking back is so much easier than being in the middle of. And if you're in the middle of, it's just so much more difficult to interpret it properly. But trials will reveal your true character and make you stronger. Writer David Brooks in The Road to Character said this, consider this. He said, when most people think about the future, they dream up ways they might live happier lives. But notice this phenomenon. When people remember the crucial events that formed them, they usually don't talk about happiness. It's usually the ordeals that seem significant. Most people shoot for happiness, but feel formed through suffering. A third thing to share with you today, it's a new framework which to view your trials, is not only do they reveal your character and make you grow stronger, but they can draw you closer to Jesus. In John chapter 9, a group of religious people ask Jesus, they said, see that guy over there, that blind man, why was he born blind? Whose sin was it him or his parents? Rabbi, teach us. And Jesus' response was, it was neither this man who sinned nor his parents, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. If you and I try to describe why everything happened, we'll go crazy. We just simply can't. We live in this chasing the wind existence. We live a under the sun existence where we're simply not gonna know every why. We're not even gonna know many whys. Now, as we mentioned earlier, sometimes you can look back and begin to interpret and see some whys, but in the middle of, you're not gonna know. And terrible suffering, like the blindness of a man, like a very um, acute difficulty, a chronic pain that you're going through, you may not know the why in this life under the sun. But Jesus teaches us that what matters is that the works of God might be on display in our lives. And Jesus draws close to us. We think that when there's pain, that means the absence of God. But it's actually in our pain that we can experience the greatest presence of God. Seven years ago, I visited a friend in the hospitals, a couple that I'd just gotten to know a few short months prior. 
and I'd heard the news and I went to the hospital and I'd never felt more ill-equipped to do my job. I walked in and I didn't know what to say. This 25-year-old man was sitting next to his 24-year-old wife and he was in tears. She had just been diagnosed with brain cancer. And when I tell you I feel inadequate, I didn't know what to do or what to say. I just walked over. They don't teach you this kind of stuff in seminary. And I just walked over and sat next to them, to him in particular. And he gripped my hand and tears rolled down his cheek and tears rolled down my cheek. And he said to me, God is good all the time. How does someone get to a place where in the midst of something they would never sign up for, they would be able to say that? the presence of Jesus. And trials can do that for us. Some of you want to find out the why, and you'll only follow God and worship Him if He'll tell you the why and just lay it all out for you. But He's not going to. What He wants you and I to experience is His presence, and His nearness can be to us. The psalmist a long, long time ago said that He is near to those who are broken and contrite heart. Trials reveal your true character, it can make you grow. It can draw you closer to the presence of Jesus. And lastly, number four, as we close, it doesn't have to have the final word. You know that James says, well, here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, he says that we'll be complete, mature, and lacking in nothing. Some translations say that you'll be perfect. I kind of like that translation for our purposes here and now. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, hang in there because one day your marriage will be perfect. Hold on, because one day your kids will be perfect. Hey, that job that you hate now, hold, hang in there, because one day your job will be perfect. He doesn't say any of that. What he says is, one day you will be perfect. God is so much more concerned with the person that you're becoming, not your achievements, but who you're becoming. So he calls us to look to him. One day you'll be complete, mature, lacking in nothing. Listen, as we end the year, how much lack do you experience in your life? I'll be honest. It's so easy to interpret my life through a lack. I need more people, more resources, more things to fulfill the vision. Lack, lack, lack. I don't have this. I don't have that. But there will be a day when we'll be complete, mature, and lacking in nothing. You're not going to have a perfect marriage, perfect kids, perfect job, perfect situation here. But God is working on you. And these trials in your life, the reconsider because they can reveal your true character, make you stronger, draw you closer to Jesus, and they don't have to have the final word. Hebrews writer, the writer of Hebrews put it this way, lay aside the weight, the burden, the thing that encumbers you, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles you, and look to Jesus, the author and finisher, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him persevered, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. As we finish the year, I want to put some thoughts on the screen. Some, let's call them prayer prompters, where just some text, some words to get you to think about the message you've heard at year end and to think about your life and how your life crosses the truths of this passage of Scripture and how you might need to consider joy in the middle of difficult circumstances.